Welcome to 45 Forward, the beginning of the rest of your life. Each week, host Ron Roel and his guests discuss topics of interest to many listeners in their 40s and beyond, including retirement, caring for aging parents, health, lifestyle, and more. It's time to think ahead to the next half of your life, and we'll help you plan it with ease. Now, here is Ron Roel. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of 45 Forward, where our mission is to help you our listeners from Los Angeles to Long Island age successfully, making your second half of life even better than the first. Today, we'll be talking with Lance Cheney, the owner of the Braun Brush Company, a small family-owned manufacturer of highly specialized brushes based in suburban Long Island. Now, before I go on, you may be wondering, brush company? What's interesting about a brush company? Well, in today's high-tech economy, the story of Braun Brush and Lance Cheney is a fascinating saga that weaves together a number of themes about the evolution of the American economy and its future. It's about a unique CEO who has blended his artistic aspirations and his business skills to compete successfully against a growing tidal wave of cheap Chinese imports. When Lance, a fourth-generation owner, unexpectedly had to take the reins of the company from his father as he himself was entering the middle of his career. He believed that he had to take his employees through a huge strategic shift, or the company might never make it to the fifth generation. In succeeding years, Lance made many innovative forays into specialized brush making, like brushes that put the sheen on chocolate, others designed to keep pigeons off the top of New York City's Freedom Tower, and tiny brushes that are now on Mars, helping the Mars rovers remove dust from the surfaces of drilling sites. Along the way, Lance found new expressions for his artistic sensibility, creating fiber-based projects for some of the world's most prestigious companies, including Google, Microsoft, Oracle, Amazon. He also fabricated dozens of sculptures for a renowned American artist. Braun Brush has been recognized by the New York Times as an American company that successfully adapted to compete against high-volume, low-cost imports. He was recently featured in the book, The Passion Economy, by the award-winning journalist and co-founder of NPR's Planet Money, Adam Davidson. Lance's story demonstrates how combining one's personal knowledge with their passion can lead to new avenues of discovery in their life, at midlife or any time in life. And I will tell you this for sure, after hearing Lance's story today, he'll never look at a brush the same way. So now, let's meet Lance Cheney. Lance, welcome to the show. Ron, thank you so much for having me. It's absolutely my pleasure. Great, great. So, you know, Lance, your story actually takes me back partly into my own story as a business reporter in the 1980s when I was covering workplace and job issues and the struggling manufacturing sector and how China was increasingly wreaking havoc on our manufacturers. Um, and that's when, about the time you joined the, co- the company. Well, you started working with your dad in, in the 1980s, right? That's true. That's when I started working with him full time. Certainly, I I went there summers growing up as a kid and worked with him, you know, my whole life. But as a committed full time worker was the early 80s. Well, tell us a little bit more about the company. It's a a great story. Give us a little bit of the history of the company. Certainly. So the company was started by my great grandfather in um, 1875. He had come to this country um, by himself in 1865 as a man in his his mid-teens. And then worked in various jobs around New York City, um, eventually winding up at a, uh, at a dairy uh, bottling facility, of which there were hundreds around New York at the time. And he was responsible for cleaning the bottles that came back to the dairy plant every day. And um, that was pretty 
disgusting, smelly work, especially in the summer. Wow. And he, he had uh, remembered some, uh, had worked as a brushmaker's apprentice in Germany, his, his home country, and uh, decided that he was going to develop a much better bottle cleaning brush for cleaning milk bottles and uh, developed that in, in the basement of his, of his home in, in Brooklyn. Right. So better mousetrap. Better brush. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Exactly right, Ron. So, yeah. So he he uh, he you know he built that into a, a whole family of products for the dairy and other food processing industries. Um, eventually, he built a, a factory behind his house. Got out of the basement. Um, he had a growing family. He had his his children were involved um, at that point, and and the and the company flourished. Right. I, Go ahead. Go no, and then and then, <laughs> yeah. Until until um, he um, he passed away, and unfortunately, like so many family businesses, the um, the heirs didn't get along, and and they broke into three competing companies. Unfortunately, mm. uh, my grandfather had been the plant manager, um, so he he understood the process, he understood the 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 innovation, the equipment. Um, but his older brother uh, took took a lot of the accounts and the sales and whatnot and opened up another facility. Um, eventually, they came back to my grandfather, though, I think, because he, he treated the employees well. He knew how to manage the work. Right. Uh, but it was a struggle for him. Right, right, right. Um, and then, you know, so you started working part-time for the company. But I think like a lot of children, you know, and my family included, I mean, when you have family businesses, it's it's a challenge. And I think your first inclination is, well, I don't know, I might want to do something different. And so you had your own early, early journey. It's true. I think that the thought of having something so predetermined a destiny that's so predetermined sometimes right. can scare you off a bit and i i uh, i did always love art and uh, i was passionate about art in school um it was i had a double major art and finance um so i i thought seriously about pursuing an art career i also enjoyed playing music mm-hmm. but um eventually uh my dad had said look if, you, if you're interested in, in, in joining the business at all uh you know now's the time because he was going to think, if you're not going to be interested in it, then I'm probably going to sell it. But uh, that was my dad's clever way of getting me involved because he, uh, <laughs> he worked another 17 years. He had no intention of retiring. Ah, <laughs> so, uh, those parents. <laughs> yeah, indeed. <laughs> Sometimes you just have to, you know, present it choices that, that, that seem like a choice to you. So, you know, you're, which is important that you, you chose to do it, not like, all right, I, I got to do it. And, yeah. um, and I, I think from what I understand, you quickly, you know, got a sense of the business and, you know, got a sense of what the possibilities were. Um, and, and I think that, you know, you, you, but you also saw what the challenges were. I mean, this was the time, as I mentioned earlier, where you, a lot of manufacturers face foreign competition and you had to figure out how to deal with that. It's true. I think uh, initially, I didn't really know my place. My father had the business really very well handled, um, but he had his certainly his way of doing things, which was to um, uh, to find a market and to really try to, to capitalize that market, make as many products um, as he could for a specific industry and kind of build that up. And if someone else entered into it, he would he would reduce the price. He would try to, you know, to, to get in there and try to just, you know, a lot of times he would compete on price. Um, it was it was a difficult 
thing because um, we didn't have a whole lot of automation at the time. And certainly um, things did start to go um, over to Asia. There were more and more products that started to head um, to Asia. And, and therefore, when, when it came down to price alone, it was impossible for us to compete on a lot of those items. And our margins kept getting thinner and thinner. Right, right. Yeah, I think that's, you know, that's kind of inclination as to, well, sell more. Um, and I think that that showed that this is an impossible challenge. They'll always undercut you on labor. You know, that's the thing. And I think that a lot of, you know, companies just tried to go lower and lower. And the reality is that, you know, America has certain standards of living and it's going to be difficult for you to pay, you know, wages at the level of, you know, Asian workers. You're just not going to be able to do it. Right. So, um, so what was, uh, what was the moment you, you decided you really realized, uh, you know, that you had to really take a different path as uncomfortable as it might be? Well, there were a couple of things that led to that. Um, one was, I think, we were very fortunate to get the web address of, a, of, of Brush.com mm. uh, in the early 90s. And that all of a sudden um, opened us up to the rest of the world because now everyone could find us, not just the people that we were, we were trying to attract their business. So other people would come to us with their inquiries and their, and their projects. Uh, one of the early projects that we did was for a, a, a nuclear power plant. Mm-hmm. And in nuclear power plants, they need to inspect um, the coolant tanks on a regular basis. And what they had found was there were all these little metal staples on the bottom of the of the coolant tank because um, the brushes are typically held in with a little metal staple. The, the fiber is folded over and then driven into a small hole with a staple. And as they were using these these brushes to inspect the various fittings, they were knocking the tufts out and then the staples were falling into the bottom of the tank. Well, they couldn't have any kind of contamination like that. Right. So we went back to my, my, um, my great grandfather's original bottle brush design that he had used to make bottle brushes uh, for the dairy plants where he used a single wire and wrapped it into a groove and held the fibers into this, into this groove uh, with this retaining wire that went the entire length of the brush. And, Okay, we've eliminated all the staples in these brushes, and now they're going to be, um, you know, held in with this fiber, and there's no chance of the fiber coming out. It's going to be all materials that are approved. Well, when we came up with that brush, um, we came up with a price, the typical way we would price a brush. This is the materials. This is the labor. This is how much it's going to cost. And the, the purchaser for it said, oh, no, no, you, you can't charge that little amount. Mm. Don't think it's not very good. I said, what do you mean? <laughs> he said, well, that brush has to be several hundred dollars a piece. Uh. I said, well, if, if you insist, we can, easily, <laughs> we can easily make it several hundred dollars a piece. And it, it's at that kind of moment that I realized that taking our hundred year of, of brush making knowledge and then being able to, to, to tailor it to a specific application allowed us to sell on perceived value. Right. As opposed to what was cost plus. And all of a sudden, our, our thinking kind of changed that mm-hmm. we, could, we could be making brushes that are really for very, very specific applications. Um, and that's where we started to move towards that. We started to shed some of the work that was less profitable and more, as I say, commodity-based, where price was the only differentiator. Yeah. More into, into more engineered perceived value products. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think 
perceived value, but also actual value. I mean, you know, in other words, if they, if you provide something that, you know, specifically fulfills their need, that's what they want. You know, they, you know, it's, it's, it's not like, well, it, it kind of works. It's like, no, no, it has to work exactly. And then I think that the value of that, that, that something that really uh, it meets the exact specifications of your customer, I think it's, it's in some ways, uh, I would say invaluable, but you know what I mean? It, it, I do. It, it does, you know, take on a real value that, that other average products or, or almost good enough products or pretty good products are, are different. You know? So I think that that's, I think people still, you know, realize, you know, the, the quality of the niche, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think we were talking previously about, I mean, this to me is sort of always, an, you, know, a, you know, an experiment in evolution. You know, if you look at, you know, the adaptations of animals that succeed, you know, a lot of them, there's this book I, I like called uh, The Beak of the Finch, you know, that was about, you know, the, the evolution of finches in, in Darwin's Galapagos Islands. And, you know, it's just, you know, these finches that have a very specific adaptation to, to bill size, you know, it's very specific. It's not about, you know, laying, you know, a thousand eggs like turtles. It's about fulfilling the specific thing that fits their need and, and gives them a competitive advantage. So, you know, I think that that's something that, you know, I, I think is indicative of how we need to proceed with our economy overall. I mean, um, you know, because I think that, we're going to have to figure out competing with the rest of the world, what, what our niches are and what we do better than anyone else. I think you're spot on with that, Ron. I think that, um, you know, manufacturing in this country is, is not dead by any long shot. I think it's still one of the largest contributors to the, to the um, GDP of this country, but we've had to change. We have to right. be more specific in, in what we have. We, we have. we have incredible innovation in this country and we still are at the forefront of that. But we're not we're not going to be the, the largest producer of, of of shirts or textiles because that's not where our our our, our skill set lies as much right, anymore. Right. But it's still tough to. I mean, so can you remember back to the moment when you really, I guess, when you took over the company and then you, you said to your employees, "All right, this is where we're going to go," you know, full time. And I think it's hard for people to hear, like, "Okay, if someone else produces that brush, we're not going to do it." Like, what? <laughs> So there, there's sort of an emotional risk in that. I mean, can you think back to what it felt like and how you, you know, really got your your company on board? Yeah, I don't know that it was a um, it was a, a flipping of a switch. It wasn't a, it wasn't that quick. It was probably a little bit more gradual than okay. that because there are some industries that we are still in that we have been in for a hundred years. The baking industry, for instance, is a good example of that because traditionally the baker owns the bakery mm-hmm. and is also the head baker. So he says, if I'm going to spend my, my, my days in this bakery, I, I want, I want the best. I don't really care about, about something that's just cheaper. Right. So I just, I just want the best bakery brush. A brush is not going to lose bristles. It's made out of natural bore here, all those things. So that product has just evolved um, with, with us. So we, we continue to make improvements. We continue to, it's a, they become very expensive, a bit, a bit, a, a bakery brush can be $35 for a bench brush now, which is much more than a brush you would buy at a box store for $5 for cleaning a bench. So those industries, we continue to evolve. But those other industries where you might say it's just a, it's a floor broom or a, just a sink scrub brush, those we just 
made a conscious decision to say, look, this is something that is just getting driven cheaper and cheaper by foreign imports, and we're just going to drop it. And But we have this other work filling in. We have these other brushes for, uh, for unique applications, of which there are an endless variety. Mm-hmm. With, with brush.com, we get a new brush every two or three days. There's a new wow. application for a brush that somebody calls and said, I've got this um, need for, uh, for cleaning the down hole in an offshore oil rig. There's some kind of thing we, we have to, we have to clean the scale off of this hole. We need a brush that's going to go down a mile deep. Wow. Um, can you make that? Or we have a brush that's going to be used to clean the antenna for um, some uh, type of submarine or something. So these applications are, are endless and brushes will fit that need once in a while. So that's 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 the work that we live for, that we yeah. enjoy. Yeah. But it wasn't it didn't happen it didn't happen overnight. I think it was it was more gradual and then uh we started to, to buy equipment that was that was more suited to the type of innovative work we were doing. Right. Right. Yeah, but it's uh, uh, what I found interesting too is just sort of the return to you know an earlier vision that you, you couldn't see as a young man. I mean, this is to me was sort of what I consider like the the forty five forward vision. Like you, you gain vision over the course of your life, um, and uh, you know, so you you sort of combined your artistic interests, you know, in art and music, of your younger life, with something that you probably couldn't see at that time, and yet it's it's a necessary component of your business, and you know, so I know that um, Adam Davidson calls it the passion economy, and certainly. You know, when we've talked about it, I can, you know, feel your passion for these different kinds of brushes. But I look at it as sort of the creativity economy. You mm-hmm. know, you're seeing all these, you know, kind of opportunities and, and dealing with people, you know, who come up with all these interesting ideas. I mean, I, you know, I, I have to say, I, I would never think about all these different uses. It's, but it's true. I mean, they're, a brush ain't a brush. <laughs> there are, <laughs> you know, there are all sorts of different brushes. Um, and, um and and also you know but but at the same time you were going back to your your grandfather or great grandfather's uh, you know idea of specialization because that's what it started out of a you know a specialized product for for brushes for for milk bottles yes yes that's true yeah yeah that's true yeah 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 um so let let me uh you know as I, as I was talking about before too having this vision though is uh you know one of my favorite uh figures in history is Thomas Edison. So, you know, one of, one of his phrases I like is, you know, vision without a plan is hallucination. Hmm. So, <laughs> so, so you have always, you've had always a plan for these things, but so talk a little bit about um, uh, this, but you know what, I think what we'll do is uh, before we get into some of the specifics of these brushes uh, and uses, we're going to take a quick break but when we come back, let's let's talk about some of these interesting projects you've done and some of the interesting uh, venues that you've entered. So don't go away, folks. We'll be right back with much more from Lance Cheney. Thank you. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. A brave heart is anyone with the courage to be of service to others. If you have that courage, then Brave Hearts Radio with Brian Reinbold is for you. Even if you aren't yet, you'll want to still tune in to get inspired. 
Create your own story to share and change your life for the better. Listen to the stories of service and courage shared by amazing guests and your input too. Listen for Brave Hearts Radio, Mondays at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Remember, doing good anywhere does good everywhere. Want to play the ponies and win? At Winning Ponies, we go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, and handicappers. The Winning Ponies Radio Show with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Catch us live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Win prizes just for calling in. Voice America Network proudly presents the Catherine Zox Show for women, men, children, and families. Catherine magically combines her compassion, experience, and talent to bring listeners a show that's upbeat, informative, and yes, a little sassy. Tune in every Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern to the Catherine Zox Show on the Voice America channel. You're listening to 45 Forward. To reach Ron Roel or his guest on the program, please send an email to ron.roel at gmail.com. That's ron.roel at gmail.com. Now back to 45 Forward. Welcome back, folks. When we're talking with Lance Cheney, the president of Braun Brush Company. And before the break, we were talking with Lance about what I call the creativity economy, basically looking at you know how you can fill the the, um, the niches of, of, of uh, company needs. Uh, and really, it requires a certain leap of imagination to see these kinds of products and how they can solve their clients' problems. And so, so Lance has a roster of many kinds of brushes, and some of them I found intriguing, starting with uh, one that is really in the news right now. In back of the news, you don't see it, but the brushes uh, that are in the Mars rover. So talk about that, Lance. That's a fascinating thing to me. Uh, thanks, Rod. So I... That, that came to us through our website, through brush.com. Um, a, uh, I had a call from, from a customer, and he said, look, I, I need a, a brush for a router. And I, I said, okay. I said, send me the, the specifications. He said, well, he said, Lance, it needs to have a very high, um, a very wide temperature tolerance. I said, well, how wide? They said, well, it's got to be able to uh, tolerate about, 250 degrees positive Fahrenheit and about 250 degrees negative. <laughs> wow. So, well, that is a really wide <laughs> temperature tolerance. And they said, oh, and it can't weigh more than, I don't remember the specific number, but it was something like, you know, 6.324 grams. I said, well, that's, that's rather specific. I said, that, that sounds like a space application. And he says, I, I really can't say. <laughs> and I said, well, <laughs> it, it doesn't matter to us that we'll make the brushes for you however you need them. Um, but they wanted to really, it was almost like what we call a, a single tuft. If you look at the end of a paint of an artist brush, you'll see that kind of that single tuft. This was, this was a stainless wire tuft about two and a half, three inches long, but we had to develop another way to secure the bristles that would have that really wide um, temperature variance. So we welded the fibers together and we made this single tuft of, of welded fibers. And we made, I'm going to say we probably made 25 of the brushes. Right. Um, charged them maybe $50 a piece for them. So 
I said, it's fine. I didn't hear anything for a year and a half, almost two years. And um, the engineer called me back and he said, Lance, we have another application that we'd like you to make some brushes for. I'm like, well, how did the first ones work out? And they said, they're great. They're up there now. And I said, <laughs> up, up where? <laughs> and he said, you don't know? I said, how would I know? You didn't tell me what they were for. He said, let me send you a couple of pictures uh-huh. uh, on your, on your um, email you. And he sent me a picture of um, what's called the RAT, the rock abrasion tool. It's mounted on the front of both the Opportunity and Spirit rovers, the first rovers that went up there. Right. And there's a picture of, of this little rock abrasion tool uh, with our brush right there with the Martian surface in the background. And I said, are, are, you, are you kidding me? Is that what I think it is? He goes, you know, that's your brush on Mars. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I didn't know until that moment. And uh, then they really, they couldn't shut me up. I had to, uh, the, the office was making me pay a fine every, when I, every time I told that story over the phone. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, it was, it, was, it was really a moment of, of immense pride for everyone at the the company we you know you started to see pictures of that in people's lockers and uh, i think everyone really felt um, a tremendous surge of pride uh, around that factor yeah. but uh, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Great. well that that is great i mean you know it, it's uh you know <laughs> one small leap for brushes <laughs> one giant leap for brawn brush yes right. <laughs> perfectly said right right yeah well that's great that's great that's a great story yeah so being a, a big chocolate fan myself so what does it mean to put the sheen on chocolate well, how do brushes do that well chocolate uh, will occasionally get what's called a bloom on it mm-hmm. and that's when the cocoa butter has separated out of the chocolate and you get a little bit of whitening on the top of chocolates. It doesn't happen all the time, but every once in a while it, it will. And it, it just looks unsightly. So a lot of the chocolate companies will polish the, the chocolates before they put the lid on it. Mm. And the only brush that really does that well is a badger hair brush mm. because badgers, the hair is extremely soft and it's tapered to a very, very fine tip. They can't duplicate it with synthetic. Uh-huh. And uh, so we would we would make badger hair brushes for a lot of the larger chocolate producers, and uh, uh, they will polish them. They'll polish out the chocolate, and it just takes that little bit of bloom off the top before they wow. seal up the boxes. Interesting. Wow. Yeah. Wow. What are some of the other applications? I, I remember reading something about uh, uh, brushes at Frito Lay plants. Um, yeah, that um, there they had a, an issue. Um, with with fibers that were coming out in one of mm-hmm. the lines, and they had the same production line at a number of different facilities, and it was interesting because I got a call in the afternoon. It was about two o'clock in the afternoon, and um, the the engineer said, "We understand that you make custom made brushes, um, and you can make brushes where the fibers are guaranteed not to fall out." I said, "Yes, we can do that." They said, can you develop new methods of making brushes where what has been done before is not quite good enough? Can, can you work? I said, yeah. I said, we've, we've done that in the past. He said, can I meet you at your, at your plant today? I said, well, yeah. I said, where are you calling from? He said, I'm calling from Plano, Texas. <laughs> wow. I said, well, I don't know. He goes, I have a jet standing by waiting for me wow. to take me to New York. He said, I will, um, I'll be at your facility probably around 
six o'clock tonight um, if you can come back and meet me there. I said, fine. I said, I'll, I'll be happy to do that. And um, so he, he, he called me when he landed and I, I drove back and we met at the plant and he showed me the problem he was having. And we had to develop a, a method for these small disc brushes that would um, absolutely not, not shed. He, he would, we tried them and then he would put a pliers on it and he, if he could pull the fiber and move it at all, not quite good enough. And then we worked until midnight and we developed a brush for him uh, for this, to this conveyor um, that he said, okay, that's, that's great. He goes, I need a, I need you to make a full set uh, by tomorrow. He says, I have to put it on the line back in Texas tomorrow. Wow. He said, I'll have a car st- sitting here waiting um, until your brushes are done. Wow. And then he'll put them back on the plane and get them, get them down. So, uh, um, yeah, we did that, and we continued to do them uh, for for a lot of the Frito plants around the around wow, the world. wow, yeah. Sort of talking about just in time delivery. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, I, I think they had to close that that line down uh, because oh. of the risk, and they said we're losing you know, thousands of dollars a minute every time this plant is closed down. This line is closed down, so it, it was the, the pressure was was immense to get it right. done right, right, right. Yeah. yeah. Well, from the routine to now, some of the other ones are like this. So what, <laughs> this story, I, I don't know much about the story about the uh, brush to, to, um, for the Freedom Tower, keep the pigeons off of the top of that? Yeah, it's actually, it was, it was for the, um, um, not the Freedom Tower. Oh, not the Freedom Tower, okay. But yeah, it was the, um, um, the path uh, transfer station, that very unusual looking uh, building. It looks kind of like a dinosaur skeleton. I see, uh, That's yeah. downtown. And those windows open up for ventilation at the bottom. And what happened is as soon as they opened up the windows at the very top, sorry, the, 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 the pigeons would come in. And uh, then you'd have pigeons soaring around inside of this, this, this cavernous um, the path station there. Right. And um, so we made some brushes that would just, just be long fibers that went the full length of the spine of that building that would just allow the air to circulate through but not allow the pigeons um, access to get in. <laughs> <laughs> oh, pigeons, man. <laughs> I know. And, it was, you know and, and it's a brush. I mean, you know, you think about brushes are used for, you know, either painting or cleaning uh, for applying it. But, you know, this is just a bird deterrent, you know. Right, right, you know, right. Very different. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's certainly a little more elegant than uh, a lot of these places would have spikes on them now and all sorts of, you know, you know, physical deterrence, but I like this is an elegant solution. I like it this. It looks nice. You, from, from, you can't even notice that it's a brush from, from the uh, from the ground level. So it right. does look nice. Right. Yeah. 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 Any other uh, examples come to mind of things that you uh, that you want to talk about? Well, I think the um, the art projects. If you want me to speak about mm-hmm. that a little bit, I think um, Ron, those that was a a really interesting collaboration. Mm-hmm. I, I had gone to school for, as I said earlier, for finance and fine arts. And I missed the, the art side when I started working mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. with my father. And so I was attending classes at the School of Visual Arts. Um, and then I got a call from, uh, from an artist who had a, uh, a show coming up uh, at the Whitney. It was a one-man show, a retrospective of his work. And he had a concept for a piece that he really wanted to include in the show but didn't have um, the means to make it. It was something that he wanted to build. And it was, a, it was really a, a giant 
exclamation point, six feet mm. high. Um, and so I said, oh, okay, great. Send me a, send me a drawing of this, of this piece, and I will be happy to um, give you a quote, and we can, we can build it. So Lance, I, I don't have time for any of that. He said, I'm going to send you a few thousand dollars. He said, if you just go to Helvetica and blow up a, um, like a Helvetica exclamation point to six feet, that'll probably just be right. I said, well, I said, okay. I said, well, what material? He said, well, you know, that brown scrubby brush, natural looking material. I said, oh, bassine? And he didn't know, but he said, yes, bassine. That, that's fine. That will be great. So we set about working on this and it turned out to be much more complicated than I thought because the, the, the changing and the diameter of it and uh, the shape of it was just, it was this, this, this curve and it kept on tapering down and we had to continually reset the machine and we had to put all these special angles. Well, it was the day of his opening and huh. we weren't finished with it. And I called him and I said, I said, Richard, um, his name is Richard Archwager. I said, Richard, we're, we're not done with this piece. He goes, Lance, I have to have it tonight. He goes, this is a really important piece for my opening. And I really, I said, well, we'll make it happen. I said, I'll drive it over as soon as we're done. And we finished it around 5.30, and I threw it in the back of my father's station wagon and drove, <laughs> drove like a maniac into the city, and I double parked in front of the Whitney and walked in, and I said, I have a sculpture for Richard Archwager. And the woman at the front desk said, looked at me like I was completely crazy. She said, she said Sir, this show has been installed for over a week. You can't be delivering a sculpture. I don't know what you're talking about. I said, well, is, is Mr. Archwager here? And she said, no, he, he's not here yet, but he should be here soon. So I, I went out front, and my wife, Sue, was with us. And I said, Sue, I, I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. She said, well, wait till Archwager shows up. And I, I did, and he pulls up in a, in a limousine, and I go over, and I said, uh, Richard? He goes, you said Lance? I said, yeah. He goes, do you have the sculpture? I said, yeah, we're, we're double parked right here. <laughs> <laughs> so we walk over, and I open the back of the station wagon. He goes, Wow it's a lot fuller than I had imagined it. I said, is it okay? He said, it's absolutely beautiful. He mm. said, it is really spectacular. I said, all right. He said, well, let's go install it. So we put it on our shoulders and uh, we walk into the Whitney and people are like, oh, it's such a happening, Richard, you're installing at your show. And uh, we walk over and there was a hook hanging from the ceiling that held the top part of the exclamation point. The ball sat on the floor and um, – he said, Lance, let me tell you why this was so important to me, why you had this, this piece done. And he proceeded to walk Sue and I around his, entol- his whole life work that was at the, uh, this, this retrospective and explain how he came to this exclamation point. It was kind of the exclamation point uh-huh. on his career and uh, that this really kind of summed up. And he's a pop artist, so it was the imagery you can imagine was, was just right. Uh, and then they said, all right, Richard, you've got to give your opening remarks. He goes, all right, Lance, don't go away. I'll, I'll, I want to settle up. And uh, I'm all right. I said, all right. So we did, and, and Richard came over, and uh, he said, what do I owe you? And I, I just had to make up a number. I had no idea what the timesheets were and what, and he wrote me a check for it. And he goes, we're going to do a lot more work together. Huh. And huh. Uh, over the course of his lifetime, we made 35 sculptures for him wow. that wow. were in uh, museums around the world. Yeah. Though. Yeah. So, yeah. It's exciting. 
That's a great story. So I think this is another sort of inflection point for you, exclamation point, inflection point, where yes, you, right. where I think you realized again that, um, you know, perceived value, you know, it wasn't uh, the price of these things was not about, you know, the materials cost plus, you know, hourly mm-hmm. labor. It was basically, does this fulfill this guy's vision of his art? Yes. I think you're, you're very right on with that. And, after doing a number of sculptures for him, I, I, I remember writing a question down. I have a blank notebook that I carry with me where mm-hmm. I write down ideas or questions that are, are kind of troubling. And I, I wrote down, how can I turn what I do for Richard Archwager into a, a product that isn't thought of as a brush? How can I turn that into a, a product mm-hmm. of some sort? And um, that idea just sat with me for a while. And then I was waiting in a dentist waiting room to go in to, 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 to see the dentist. And I picked up a, a copy of Architectural Digest. And in that, um, there was an article. They asked a number of different designers what it was that they were, were looking for. What did they want? Mm-hmm. And a number of them said, we want, we want wall coverings that have more texture. We want hmm. more texture in, in design. And then a number of them said, we want products that are, are green or that are, are more um, eco-friendly. And I, I didn't really think anything about it, but it just, it just kind of sat in the back of my head. And then I went back to the factory, and there were a whole bunch of brushes, 100 brushes or so, sitting on the bench with their fibers sticking up, waiting to go through the trimmer or be packaged. I thought, wow, that's a lot of texture. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought, what about making a, a panel, like a 12-inch square panel out of brush material and just making it like a one, one big brush? And um, I did that, and I showed it to some, some designer friends, and uh, um, we developed what's called brush tile from that. Wow, brush tile. Okay. And, and uh, what is this? So the brush tile, are these – individual panels that you put together or is it, you know, one whole wall or how does that work? It's individual tiles are from 12 inches square to 24 inches square and they cover an entire wall. So we will do a, a wall that will, we started with just natural fibers, natural grown fibers. There's Tampico as a derivative of a, of a cactus plant. Uh, but then also we used a lot of, of, of very bold colors and then we would carve a company logo in it. Um, or we would make it, then we finally wound up getting equipment that we could do three different colors in a tile so we can do imagery. So just giant walls made out of brush that have great <laughs> qualities, but are also very fun and kind of, um, funky and just, uh, wow. Yeah. Wow. And some of the places I, I mentioned in the opening, you know, so, so from, you know, low tech, you know, product and high tech companies that they, they match and they, they really bring something different there. It's true. Yeah, we're doing a couple of, uh, we're doing a conference room for Google is building a new uh, headquarters on Pier 57. Mm-hmm. We'll be doing the conference rooms uh, for Google in a very um, kind of beautiful teal, aqua teal color. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, we just did another project for, for Marriott. I think we're doing oh, a project for them. Very too. nice, very nice. Yeah. 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 Well, I would never have thought that, but uh, now I know where that comes from. I'll have to look for it and go like, I know this. <laughs> so, um, well, we're, we're going to talk a little bit more about this. Um, we're going to take a quick break, Lance. Uh, and when we come back, uh, we'll talk about a few more things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm going to tell 
people where they can see some of these uh, products on my website. So stay put. Don't go anywhere, folks. We'll be back for our final segment with Lance Cheney. You won't want to miss it. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. Do you want to hear a show about football? How about football moms? What if we told you that was just a start? Tune in for Double Down with Garrett and Mac. Audrey Garrett and Jeracy Mack are moms to some well-known NFL players. Sure, they'll talk football and raising their kids to achieve greatness, but they'll also talk about community and world issues, motherhood, news, and lifestyle topics. Listen in every Monday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you checked out Teen Wealth Radio? It's a show for teens, their parents, and educators. Hosted by Brandy England, along with regular weekly contributors, Teen Wealth Radio will cover the topics that teens need to talk about. Plus, we discuss a book of the week and a movie of the week, and each show will offer a challenge to our teen listeners that they can share on our private Facebook group page. Be sure to tune in to Teen Wealth Radio, live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. You're listening to 45 Forward. To reach Ron Roel or his guest on the program, please send an email to ron.roel at gmail.com. That's ron.roel at gmail.com. Now back to 45 Forward. Welcome back, folks, to 45 Forward. We're talking with Lance Cheney, the president of Braun Brush Company. And before the break, we were talking about Lance's art projects. And I just wanted to say before, make sure we get this in before the end of the show, that if you want to see more of Lance's uh, products, you can go to my website, roboresources.com. And there's a 45 Forward tab. And you can click on that, and you can not only see... Um, more about Lance and, and his background, but something about the company. And, and I posted some pictures. Some of them are really great historical shots of the company in the earlier days. And, and you can see some of these uh, textured walls that he's talking about. You can see that famous exclamation point um, in the show. And also see how he does some of these panels where you work company logos into the, the wall covering. So there's some great little pictures that you can take a look at. So uh, that's where you can see more of them. Um, so, you know, one of the things that, that occurred to me, you know, last is that, you know, I am fascinated by entrepreneurs. I think, that, you know, these are, you know, and even though you're not the original entrepreneur, you're, you've, you're, uh, you're part of a serial entrepreneurship, you know, uh, saga of your company. And uh, it's, you know, people, we laud entrepreneurs, but it's, it's, it's harder than people think, <laughs> you know, it's, um, and I think of, um, you know, it's what I call, you know, you have to be, you have to blend the artistic and the craft with the commercial. And what I, you know, my way of characterizing it is sort of being, you know, sort of a twist on the phrase, you know, um, jack of all trades, master of none. And not, it's really being a, a jack of many trades, but master of one. And I think it really takes a kind of a, a special kind of ability to do that. Um, and uh, you remind me a bit of uh, one of my, my brother-in-law, Jim, who uh, is a, a sign maker. 
but that doesn't really tell you know you know a, a lot about what Jim knows. It, it requires a, a tremendous amount of knowledge, you know, to be compressed in very specific ways. Whether you know it's materials knowledge, electronics, and aesthetics, and construction techniques, and and then knowing the specific needs of a customer, you know, and resolving the particular problem, you know, and uh, oh yeah, you got to figure out the logistics of pricing as well, you know. So I think that that's you know. Yeah, I think of, you know, I know that, um, you know, I, I applaud, you know, all of America's heroes today and I, I, our frontline workers and, uh, you know, healthcare workers. Yeah. But I think entrepreneurs are also kind of America's heroes. And uh, um, so I, I applaud you for that. You know, it's, it's great to, to really see, you know, uh, examples of people who are making this, keeping this country great, you know. So I just wanted to say that. I, I don't know if you have any... Uh, other people you like, I mean, I, I know that you're, you know, it's not just you, it's, it's all your employees as well. But I think that that's something that you should be proud of. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Ron. I, I appreciate that very much. And I, I am proud. I'm proud of the work that we do. I'm proud of the people I work with. But also, I'm very grateful. I mean, being handed a, a family business or being next in line for a family business that has been run for three generations, successive, successfully before I became involved is uh, is is a tremendous gift. And I'm certainly grateful for that because I was given a legacy. Uh, but then it also is my responsibility to keep that legacy alive. Uh, and that's where you, you have to kind of reinvent yourself because every, everyone who's been at the helm of the company has put their own slant on it. And they, mm-hmm. they, they brought, you know, my great grandfather came here, he was the founder and he had an idea. And then my grandfather had to overcome the adversity of, of, of having split up with his brothers and find his own way. And then my father, married in marrying the boss's only daughter and, and he brought his own his own way of doing it um and so it was up to me to to figure out what's what's gonna take it and make it available for the next generations should they decide to, to, to be involved in it um, yeah but it, it's tough because you you really have to be comfortable with change that's true you know i think you you know we get into these certain patterns and it's like We'll just keep doing this. It works, you know. Mm-hmm. But then there's a moment like all of a sudden like, oh, wow, it doesn't work, you know, or it's not going to work. And to be able to adapt to that kind of, um, you know, uh, situation. And so it doesn't always involve risk, you know. I mean, I think that that's, um, you know, I mean, you know, you, 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 I think you handle it well. And I think that, uh, but I think it's not an easy thing to do, you know, there are moments of uh, anxiety at night. I'm sure you've had them. <laughs> yeah, yes, I guess I can say there have been those, but I, th- I think that the benefit certainly um, outweighs the uh, the cost uh, because mm-hmm. it, it is you have you have some control over your own destiny in that regard, and you can you can push it. And I think that was the part of it when you asked what was kind of a turning point for me working with my father was that there was a point that said, okay, it's this is not my father's company. This is now my company. So I have to put it in, um, push it in the direction that, that I feel passionate about. Uh, and certainly the art project was one of those things that doing more art and combining art and our skills was something that made it fun and it made it exciting for me to get up in the morning and say, oh, well, what can we do? And what's, 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 what's possible with that? Um, and I also think that it's an incredible time to be in, in business. These times that we're in, technology is, is coming at us so fast. At this, I, I, 
My father could never have imagined that we could conceive of a brush, think of it, have someone give us an idea or a project, and I could 3D print it and develop it in a matter of hours, that I could oh. come, go from, from just a, a concept to a physical product in a matter of hours uh, for something that could be very complex. Right. Uh, that is just mind-blowing to right. me, Joe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it is, it is sometimes mind-blowing when you think about the, the, the speed of change over the last, uh, you know, several decades. Mm-hmm. Now, I can remember, um, I guess it must have been the early 80s also, when I was doing, uh, before uh, my uh, full-time job as a journalist, I was doing a bunch of projects, and I was working with this um, public relations person. And I remember we were talking about, uh, you know, uh, producing, doing proposals, RFPs for people. And she was saying, wow, you know, it used to be so much easier. You know, uh, I, you know, I used to do a proposal and then I'd mail it off to somebody and then I'd have a few days that they they'd get back to me or they'd call me and, and then they'd, uh, an adjustment and then they'd send me back. And I said, now it's like instantaneous. I mean, now they fax me stuff. So she, <laughs> she was complaining about the fax machine that just increased the speed of her business. Right. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's just, uh, you know, so today, yeah, to be able to, to duplicate this stuff in, in, in hours is really incredible. And, and just the demands that you've got to fulfill, like the guy, you know, flying up from, from Frito-Lay, from Plano, Texas. And, you know, I'll be there, you know, I'll see you soon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. In a matter of hours. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. So. Well, I think that you, you, but you mentioned too that you, I asked you once uh, what sort of keeps you going. And I think that you used a, a great word, which is curiosity. Mm. You know, talk, explain that a little bit to me. You know, brush making is, is one of the older, oldest crafts. And I think if you think about the brushes, they've been around for hundreds of years. But there's, there's the, the need and the, the the usefulness of them never goes away, but the 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 new the new needs the new the new applications that come up almost on a daily basis um, they they fascinate me the the development of new materials the development of new methods um, it just it it never bores me I think it just it keeps me curious what's next what's the next application what's the next material that we can we can tie that material to this application using a method that we've done for you know dozens of years and pull those those things together uh, to, to fill a need to make it something that's going to be useful to someone right that yeah that fascinates me yeah yeah that reminds me again of my you know my, my favorite figure Thomas Edison because I remember you know when I was a uh, really a kid you know and I, I think in elementary school um, I thought this he was incredible you know mm-hmm. and one of the things that uh, you know one of his um, expressions that he had was another one besides the one about vision was about um, I think it was something like genius is you know one percent inspiration and 99 percent perspiration <laughs> so you know you get this inspiration but you've got to really work it you know, and it takes, you know, countless times. And I'm sure that's true for you too. You have an idea, but then you've got to try, you know, all this work, this doesn't work, this work. You know, I'm sure that, you know, that appealed to me because it's, you know, it's a hardworking little kid. I was like, well, maybe, you know, sweating, struggling, but I'm, I'm getting close to being a genius. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sure that was part of the appeal, but I think in general, I think that's, you know, having that ability to, to, you know, maintain, you know, you know, 
but Edison tried a thousand, you know, filaments before he found the one that, that was sustainable. Yeah. So I think you'd have to, you know, that's another, you know, entrepreneurial quality that I think keeps you going through life and sustains you and makes, makes you successful, but it's, you got to work it, you know, and I think you've, you know, that's something you've certainly done. Yeah, I think what's what some people call failure, other people call progress. That's one other way that it's not going to work, and I, now I can go on to the next way. That's and, right. It's just you, a step, another yeah. step toward, you know, I mean, I have a, one of my favorite phrases, yeah, in praise of failure. <laughs> yeah. Because that's how you learn, right? Yeah. That's how you learn a lot. So, um, at any rate, um, well, listen, this has been great, Lance. I really appreciate your coming on the show. I think you have a great story. I'd like to glad other people get to know it and, and get to appreciate the fact that your brush is on Mars. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Ron. Um, so you've been a terrific guest and um, uh, I want to thank you for coming on the show. Um, and you can tell your friends, if you missed the live show, they can uh, see this, uh, hear it as a podcast on voiceamerica.com, or you could come to my website, as I mentioned before, Ron, uh, uh, well, my email is ronroel at gmail.com. The website is roellresources.com. You can see, you know, some of Lance's uh, uh, works. Uh, you can find out more about him uh, and his company. Uh, and, uh, and, and, if, and if people have questions, Lance, how do they reach you? Oh, they can reach me at my email address at lance at brush.com. Ah, brush.com. Yes, that is a great <laughs> URL to have. At any rate, okay, folks. Well, be sure to join me next Monday, 12 noon Pacific and 3 p.m. Eastern time, when I'll be talking with Robin Marks, who's executive director of the Alzheimer's Disease Research Center, but also has an extensive career in assisted living. And she'll be talking about how families need to think about housing transitions later in life and caregiving issues for their loved ones as they age. So, uh, I'd like to leave you with a quote from Maya Angelou, you know, that, that you know, speaks to me about, you know, Lance's journey of, uh, of survival and thriving. So the quote is, surviving is important. Thriving is elegant. Oh. And that is the story of Brush Braun Company for me. So until then, keep moving forward, folks. 45 forward. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in to 45 Forward. Please join your host, Ron Roel, for another great show next Monday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We wish you a great week.